0: Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. People are always curious about their future. This doesn't mean that people are simply wondering what would happen in the future. They are wondering about what would happen in their own futures. For example, they are worried about if they will succeed or fail, if good things will happen or bad things will happen, if they will profit or lose. This is why the people of the world go to see fortune tellers to see what will happen in their future. They ask them about their future to try to seek what will benefit them and what to stay away from. Before I met Jesus, I also spent time visiting fortune tellers and going to places to have my future read with tarot cards. I was so curious about my future then. But after becoming a Christian, I no longer visited those kinds of places. However, Christians, too, are curious about their futures. It especially happens when we are just beginning the life of faith. We end up being very curious about our future. When we are faced with this kind of curiosity, what are we supposed to do? We shouldn't be seeking answers from fortune tellers, right? Should we be searching for answers by asking our pastors or others that work in the church? Pastor, I have to move out of my home soon. Where should I move? Pastor, where should my son apply to college so that he will be accepted? I want to start a new business with the money that I have saved. What kind of business do you think God will want me to have? I actually have seen many people ask these kinds of questions to their pastors. If this is what some Christians are doing now, how is it different from before? The only difference I see is that they're asking the same questions to the pastors they were once asking the fortune tellers. Of course, there will be some people that say, They used to ask other spirits for answers, but now they're asking God for their answers. But should that be the only difference between Christians and the people of this world? You may think that is right if you just think of it simply, but that is not the truth. The Bible tells us multiple times that once we are saved, we should no longer seek the things of the world, but look towards only heavenly things. The Bible tells us to seek what is eternal. Let's read Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 together. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Jesus also tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33, Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we fear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't it clear? Isn't it obvious where God wants us to place our curiosity? Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is, What a Father Looks Like, based on 1 John 3, verse 1. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark.
1: A first-time father was in the waiting room, and he was, you know, waiting for the baby to be born, and his wife was in terrible, painful labor. It went on and on and on, and after about eight, ten hours, he started to break into a sweat, and his stomach was in knots, and finally, the nurse came out, and she said, Sir, you have a beautiful baby girl. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. Still never have to go through it. I've just went through. You know, well, I have to tell you, you know, you can't expect a guy to understand what it means to be a father right off the bat, can you? It takes uh, new fathers a little while to learn the ropes. But when it comes to fatherhood, God has never had to learn. He's never had that kind of learning curve. God's a loving father. Is it hard for you to believe that God loves you as much as the Bible says? I want us to open our Bibles to the book of 1 John. is a little short letter that the apostle John wrote. And let's look at the third chapter together. And I just want us to look at the first part of the first verse. 1 John 3, verse 1, the Apostle John is talking about the father love of God, and he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called, what? Children of God. That means that God is our Father, the love that God has for us is not really comparable to any kind of earthly relationship, the closest kind of relationship that we can understand that the love of God is like that of a parent to a child. The Bible says that you can know God just, not just as the Almighty One, not just as the ruler of the universe, but that you can know Him and have a relationship with Him as a father, Though I do have to ask you, what do you think when you think of the word Father? Do you automatically think of provision and protection and security? Is that what automatically pops into your mind? Or do you get a whole different picture than that? Every person has a different understanding or image of God, idea of what God is like, because they, they unconsciously tend to attach the feelings that they have for their father to God. And I have to say that is God's plan. In a perfect world, God's plan is that how we've related to our mom, our dad, those parents, supposed to show us a kind of love that our heavenly parent, our heavenly father has for us. And you get the love of a mom and a dad and you combine them and that's supposed to show what the love of God is like. And if we haven't had that kind of a great experience with parents and specifically we're talking about dads, then we're going to have a hard time transferring this biblical idea of what God is like into our lives. Good experiences bring us closer to knowing, understanding God. Bad experience create distorted picture of the Father's love. So to know God as your Father, there are several things that we've got to understand. I think the very first thing, I would say the big deal is that our Father in heaven exercises his authority in complete love. I think all of us parents can think of times when we've overdisciplined. Now, I'm not saying beat your kids or anything like that. But we've all had those moments where we've overdisciplined our kids. But Father in Heaven never over-disciplines. I can remember a few times when I grounded the kids. You're grounded for life! Don't ever come out of your room! You can never do that again. I think we've all done that. When His children need to be disciplined, His discipline is perfect. God isn't harsh, yet He's not over-indulgent either. He doesn't want cowering children and neither does he want children who feel entitled to everything. When God disciplines, he does so with grace. We intentionally wanted to teach our kids God's grace. And so there would be those times. When they would be disciplined and I'm just going to use an example they would be disciplined and they would be grounded maybe from video games or they'd be grounded from going to a friend's house or they'd have to go to bed earlier and I know there were many times that that discipline I think hurt us because we wanted them to be with us we wanted them to stay up or we knew how much some event that they couldn't Go to meant to them. And, and just as they were feeling that pain, so to speak, we were too. And there were quite a few times when Leslie and I would go to them and, and we would say, now we know, and you do too, that what you did was wrong, and you know what the discipline for that is, but we want to give you Grace. And we're going to let you, you know, watch TV now. Or we're going to let you go to your friend's party. Because we're showing you grace. We use the word grace. Because what we wanted to do was, we wanted to teach the kids what God's grace was. I mean, how many of us thank God, have not had to endure the entire punishment that we deserve. So ought we not show that to our kids? That's the heart of God. And God doesn't embarrass or shame us by continuing to bring up the past. Don't keep bringing up your kids' misdeeds. Don't keep doing that. Does God do that to you? No, he doesn't do that to us. He doesn't shame us. You know who shames. You know who shakes the finger. And that's Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And we don't want to do that. Let's be grace-filled. When our kids share things with us, and they do so in confidence, and they do so with repentance, then Leslie and I, that has been it We don't talk about it anymore and we never mention it again to them. And that's the heart of God. Now God's heart toward us is one of unconditional love. We don't have to earn His love. We don't have to impress God. We don't have to keep trying to gain His approval. It's so sad when you see or you've heard of people who never ever heard a word of praise from their parents or they've never ever heard their father say I love you well I work hard they ought to know I love them. words are so important God gave us words to communicate didn't he the love of our father in heaven is permanent too it's unconditional but this is another thought and it's right here in our verse it's permanent Look at one again. It says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Has bestowed is in what is known as the perfect tense, which means the gift becomes a permanent possession of the recipient. When it says that God has bestowed upon you his love, it's a permanent possession and nobody can take it away. God's placed his love upon us in such a way that we've become the permanent objects of his love, and God can be trusted. God can be trusted. His love is unconditional. His love is permanent, and God can be trusted. I'm going to quote something. As a young child, you may have experienced the complete absence of a father because of death or divorce. Maybe you were orphaned by the demands of your parents' career. Or is it just the childhood memory of broken promises or neglect? As a result of this, you may have a hard time trusting God, trusting His promises. You, you might even have a hard time sensing God's presence. You may tend to be cynical and distrusting. Remember what we said at the very beginning. How we've experienced our fathers can be transferred to how we are experiencing a relationship with God. And for some of us, we cannot say our earthly father equals father in heaven. You know, man, I had this wonderful father, and a lot of us have. Others of us have to say, my earthly father does not equal my heavenly father. Okay, you just have to know that, in my case. I I could not understand what the goodness of the Father, I'd pray my Father in heaven, and it did not compute because I did not have the kind of Father that would equal the kind of Father I have in heaven. My dad was very abusive. My dad tried to kill me three times, you guys, okay? So I, I cannot say my earthly father is, is what my heavenly father is like. land. no, they're not the same. It wasn't until I had kids that, man, I just love my kids so much. And all this fatherly love started coming out. And then I thought, why didn't my father love me like this? But then I thought, my father in heaven, this is how he loves me? And it's complete revelation. But we've got to understand God's heart. God is a Father who said, "I'll never leave you or forsake you." My dad would disappear every weekend. If he came back Saturday, he'd come and he'd beat my mom. And we would cower. I remember one time hiding in my closet, because he was always after me. I don't know. My brother was the darling. What's the matter with My little brother was the perfect one. But I realized that Father in heaven never leaves. He's never going to come home. Looking for you, wanting to hurt you. He says, I'll never leave you or desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And listen to this. The Living Bible, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even when we are too weak to have any faith left, He remains faithful to us and will help us. For he cannot disown us who are part of himself, and he will always carry out his promises to us. The father love of God is so compassionate. I can remember several times when terrible things have happened to our kids. And at this point in their lives, they don't remember those things. I mean, really, they are forgotten, they've moved on. Maybe if you brought them up, oh yeah, but they don't really think about those things anymore. But I know that we have sat down and we have cried just at the memory. They've forgotten it. I have sat down and I have just cried over something they've forgotten. You know, I guess what I want to say is, you may have forgotten many of your pains, but God has not. He still grieves over them. He has perfect recall of everything that's ever happened in your life and his tears mingle with yours. God has never forgotten anything, not for a moment. And sometimes we don't realize what an affectionate father God is. In our house, we have all sorts of photos of our kids. And um, I mean, some houses can get totally messed, you know, cluttered with photos of the family. You know, just everywhere there's photos of the family. We've saved their craft project. In fact, I was going through a closet. Listen, if you start to clean out one closet, you have just destroyed your house. One closet It all went into a room. And then that meant there was stuff that went into another room, which went into another room, which was supposed to go in another cupboard, but you realize that cupboard is a mess too, so you pull the stuff out of that cupboard, it starts, and I mean, it really was, it was like a disease spreading through the house. But we pulled out one, and in this one uh, closet, we found Emily's first craft. We've got Daniel's first craft. And so here we are. We're po- Oh, look at this. Oh, the first picture. Oh, look. I save anything that says, I love you, Dad. I have every Christmas card thing that the kids have written, you know, a little tag for a gift. I've got it. And the dates behind it. I, I'm so sentimental. We carefully recorded the very time that they were born, their exact measurements. We documented all of the important activities of their life, those milestones. God treasures you. God treasures his memories of you. He has perfect recall. God remembers you before you were born. I remember before our kids were born. You'd have the ultrasounds, remember that? And it would look like bad weather, photo of bad weather. And and the doctor said, Oh, you got a little boy, and I'm going to how? Oh, yeah, you see that little thing? No. But God saw you before you were born. Okay, even before that, God knew you before you were conceived. That's crazy. There you go nobody got a picture of that God knows you before you were conceived God knew the very first breath you took that very first step you took God heard your first cry God has recorded every tear you've shed thus far in your life he knows the numbers of the hair on your head isn't this funny that we're born into the world with no hair and we go out that way. What is up, Lord? One awesome thing that happened recently to me was I opened uh, a box. It happened to be out of that same closet. And it was a box of things from my folks that I had not really gone through seriously. And I I saw at the very bottom, I saw this really old uh, photograph album. I mean, it's so old that the pages that the photos were affixed to were crumbling. If if you bent them, they, they broke. Okay, that's how old. But I saw photos. You know, I've seen a lot of my little baby pictures. Some kind of in the back, back of my mind, a little bit of memory. I'm not talking about baby, baby pictures, but, you know, a little toddler kind of stuff. But I'd never seen them before. And I thought, wow, mom and dad, you documented that. You documented things I don't even remember. And that's what God has done for us. God hasn't forgotten anything that concerns you. If God wanted to, he would bronze your baby shoes and put them on his mantle. And as far as God is concerned, there's never been a child like you. Ever. God has such affection for you, and he does fatherly things with you. And I just want to talk about a few of those things. I loved carrying my kids on my shoulders. You know, when they were little, and, you know, as long as I could, I'd pick them up and I'd put them up on my shoulders. You know, as they got a little older, I had to duck through the doors, but they would hold on, they'd pull my hair. That's why I'm being a good dad. It's because what a good dad I am. Says father scars. They would hold on. I remember we were in Maui years ago, and Danny was very young. How old young was he, honey? He was very young, just no young in diaper. Six weeks we went to. And so I had him up here, and I'm just like, oh, sweet, my little baby son, and, you know, and it's so cute walking around, and then it smells. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and then it's like, what's this green on my neck? <laughs> you know, that age, it's still the green stuff, and it's like, oh, this is so gross, so much for being a dad, and, third child, the son, and, you know, but look, you know, as precious as not the stuff, you know, that kind of stuff, but it's guys, you know, moms, maybe you did as cool that is. Do you know what? That's a God thing to do. What? That's a God thing to do. You write the reference down. I can't go there, but uh, due to our time constraint, but let me give you the reference. It's in Deuteronomy, 33, verse 12, and it says that God carries us on his shoulders. Somebody say amen. Amen. God carries us on his shoulders, Deuteronomy 33, verse 12. We use a lot of nicknames in our family. Everybody's got a nickname in our family, okay? Okay. So one of our family members has about eight nicknames. It's so funny. You can call him. He's got like eight nicknames, and he'll answer to all of them, all right? I don't know how all of those happen, but he's got them. I have nicknames. Leslie has one for me. She calls me Stud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist that. Only sometimes. No. <laughs> no, she calls me sweetie or honey. And <laughs> Why did you laugh? God has nicknames for Israel. It's just a God thing to do. Do you know that? One of God's nicknames for Israel was Yeshurun. He called Israel little Yeshurun. Yeshurun, which means upright one. Can I give you that reference? Deuteronomy 32, 15 and 16, and 33, 26 through 29. 33, 15, 16, and chapter 33, 26 through 29. And when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, that word Yeshurun was translated beloved. You see, this is my beloved son. The term that God called Jesus beloved is what Yeshua means. And then we're called God's beloved. Another was Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, Isaiah 62. Two. But God has, I'm gonna say this, I'm maybe going out on a limb. So, you know, don't don't necessarily, you know, plant your flag here, but I think God's got a nickname for you. I really do. I don't know what it is, but I think, I know we all have a new name. The Bible says we're going to have a new name, and God's got a nickname for you. For you, some of, it might be Henri One. I just want you to know God just delights in you. God just delights in you. The Bible says in Psalm 37 verse 23, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Psalm 37 23, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The word delights is hapetz in Greek. I mean Hebrew. And you know what it means? It means... To lean toward, you know, when the little when the little one comes running towards you, Daddy, Daddy, and very few people are like this. Oh, my my son, my child, my daughter. No, Daddy, Daddy, and what do you do? It's you lean toward. If you're in chair, you lean toward. If they're coming toward you, you you lean toward, and oftentimes you pick them up, don't you? And the Lord delights. In his way the Lord delights in you he leans towards you when you come toward him you're coming toward a daddy who loves you is are you hearing this you're coming to a father who loves you and when the kids come to us how many of you when your little ones came to you uh, you love Taking them up and setting them on your knee and you kind of bounce them on your knee. Can I see? You kind of bounce them on your knee. Grandma, grandpa's, mom's, dad's, aunt's, uncle's. Bounce them on your knee. It's such a cool thing. Or you'd snuggle with them. Anybody snuggle with your kids? Just like you want to squeeze. Snuggle with them. That's a God thing to do. God started that. What? Well, okay. I got to show you this. Look at Psalm 103. Go to Psalm 103, midish in the Bible here. Psalm 103, great psalm for tons of reasons. But I just want to show you Psalm 103 and want you to look at verse 13. Psalm 103, 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him Again we're going to kind of open up the curtains On that word compassion Just as Just as a father has compassion on his children so So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him The word compassion You know what it actually means It means to bounce on the knee It means to snuggle or cuddle with Write it down Check it out for yourself Just as a father snuggles with or cuddles or bounces his little child on his knee, so the Lord snuggles, cuddles, bounces on the knee, those who fear him. Is that awesome? If you think so, say amen. Amen. That is so awesome. God's the original snuggler, too. I love it, don't you? See, I'm just praying this changes your mind about God. This opens your view to the kind of father we have in heaven. Oh, it's so sweet. One of the things I see a lot of dads do is they pick up their kids and they lift them up in the air. Have you ever done that? kid comes running to you and it's I kids come toward me at church and as much as I can now ooh, you know they come running past bathroom or my kids when they're little daddy daddy and I would lift them up now sometime and I I lift them up in the air and and I hold them up and how many of us have taken our little ones up in the air and you've kind of tossed them up and caught them toss them anybody do that And they just squeal with terror, probably. (laughs) We we think it's delight, but they're probably, oh, what is this huge person doing to me? You know, sometimes they slobber right in our face, like, I'm going to get you for doing that to me. But, well, I just love you. Hold them up. It's such a fatherly thing to do. I'm going to say God is the originator of that to you. How do you get that? Well, you hear it every single week at the end of this service. What? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. How does God? I mean, always, this is God. God's above us. We're below him. This is, he's in heaven. We're on earth. How can it be that the Lord lifts up his countenance on us? How is it that the Lord lifts up his countenance? How is it? He lifts us up. He lifts us up, and he smiles at us. That's daddy picking up his little one and smiling at his little one. Is that cool? I think it is. I think that is just wonderful. Hey, for all he is, let's just give our Father in Heaven a big hand clap, okay? Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us so much. Let's pray. We are so thankful to have a daddy like you. On this Father's Day... We, we've seen uh, how clearly you love us, such evidence in the word, things that some of us have never seen, never realized. And we are thankful that we have someone like you who loves us with great compassion and unconditionally and, and you love us permanently. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with such deep affection. Thank you for your unrelenting love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.
2: We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is He. should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of darkness grim, we tremble not
0: Following is the program called The Good News of the Gospel.
3: Hello, Hot and Soh listeners. My name is Youngin Winston.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Winston.
3: Last time, we talked about God's righteousness.
4: We also discussed that righteousness and justice can have similar meanings and is defined by two Hebrew words, Mishpat and Tzedakah.
3: Righteousness is what is right, fair, and holy. However, the meaning fair does not necessarily mean treating everyone the same.
4: Yes, fairness cannot lean towards one direction or the other. But the Bible tells us that justice is to punish evil and to reward good. In other words, to pay back according to what he or she has done.
3: God's righteousness is to judge sin, and sinner cannot help but to be judged with His righteousness. That is why God is a righteous God. Nowadays,
4: when I look out at the world, I feel that people are so ironic, almost paradoxical. Lately, there have been awful stories in the Korean newspaper regarding parents abusing their children.
3: Oh yes, there have been so many terrible stories. Stories like parents abusing their children, even to death, daycare center abuse, and more.
4: Such sad news is being reported, but how does the public react to these situations?
3: Usually, the public demands strict judgment on these people.
4: When the punishment is not strict enough, people usually refer to it as a slap on the wrist and demand a more severe punishment.
3: Oftentimes in Korea, crimes committed under influence of alcohol are dealt with a slap on the wrist.
4: Individuals driving under the influence may be given heavy fines or their license suspended. However, when criminals sexually harass little children or rape women while they are drunk, they have their punishment lightened because they were considered physically and mentally impaired at the time.
3: A couple years ago, there was a rape case where people thought The punish did not fit the crime, and there was no justice done for this case. An eight-year-old girl was kidnapped and raped by an older man who was drunk at the time. She received a lifetime of mental and physical pain, and the man received a light sentence since he was drunk.
4: Many people complain that the punishment was too light compared to the crime and how it lacked justice. They didn't agree with how the punishment was lessened if you commit a crime under alcoholic influence. And I fully agree with that opinion. We humans judge what is right or not about the things that happen around the world. However, we complain on how a righteous God judges this wicked and evil world. If we demand justice on the earth, we also ought to ask God to judge this world righteously.
3: I guess that is right. It is right to ask a righteous God to judge this wicked world righteously.
4: But we do not do so because we are the ones to be judged. If God judges according to His righteousness, it is us who will suffer death. And that's why we do not want God to show His righteousness.
3: I am ashamed of how selfish we are.
4: Yes, just as our human societies ask for justice of the law, it is also natural for God's justice to be done. It has to be done where the wicked receives punishment and the good received a reward. Righteousness is God's character. Last week, we talked about how death and suffering enter through one man's disobedience and life entered through another man's obedience
3: it was written in romans five, eighteen through 19 consequently just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men for just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were may sinners so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous
4: today we will discuss about Jesus Christ and the blood he shed let's trace back to genesis chapter 3 adam and eve experienced death after eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which god had forbidden them to eat Remember that death means separation from God, as we talked about last week.
3: So, after eating the fruits, they experienced spiritual death, a separation from God.
4: That's correct. So, what happened to them?
3: They were driven out from the Garden of Eden.
4: In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says, God drove out man. Due to their disobedience, God showed his righteousness by allowing spiritual death, a separation from God. However, God does one thing before banishing them from the Garden of Eden. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 21.
3: The Lord God made garments of a skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them.
4: God made clothes from the skin of an animal. What had to happen for these clothes to be made?
3: The animal had to die. It had to shade its blood.
4: That's right. One life had to die. But we have to think, why did God do such a thing? In the Bible, there is one concept that is a bit unfamiliar to us. It is redemption. In English, it is also called atonement, which means to acquit sin or to recompense sin. We are not familiar with this concept. When we look up redemption in the dictionary, it is defined as the action of saving or being saved from sin error or evil or the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing of a debt
3: regaining possession of a something in exchange for clearing a debt
4: yes redemption is to get rid of sin by paying a suitable payment it has this meaning maybe the older generation will understand more. Many people back in the days paid a ransom to get rid of their sins.
3: Not many young people use this word.
4: Yes, it's similar to a fine. You would pay a fine according to the punishment, but for ransom, you make a payment to avoid punishment.
3: I understand, but it doesn't seem righteous to be clear of sin by paying money. It doesn't sit right with me, that it just ends after a payment. Sin should be treated with a punishment.
4: That could be, but we'll discuss whether paying a ransom is right or not at another time. Let's look at the meaning of atonement. Again, redemption means to make reparation for wrongdoings. It is to pay the corresponding price for the sin committed to clear it. If you turn to Ruth, It describes Boaz as a redeemer in the household of Naomi. Now that we know the meaning of redemption, let's see why God killed an animal to make clothes. It is because Adam and Eve realized they were naked through sin. God clothed them with animal skins to cover their nakedness. The Hebrew word for garment is kethoneth, which means to be covered.
3: Clothes mean to cover. Usually, When you think about clothes, you think to wear. But in Hebrews, it means to cover.
4: Yes, it is to be worn, but the main objective is to cover. Remember this, it is not to cover, but to be covered. It is not I am covering myself, but I am being covered. My shame and my sins are being covered. Adam and Eve wanted to hide their shame with clothes made out of fig leaves but were not able to. In order to cover the sin, they had to pay a price. A payment had to be made for the sin, which is equivalent to death.
3: I see. Since redeemed is to go back to its original states, death has to be paid with a death.
4: That is why God killed an animal, shed its blood, and made clothes with its skin to cover Adam and Eve. To absolve sin, There must be shedding of blood.
3: But why only through the blood? When thinking about blood, horror movies come to mind. When I first started coming to church, I wasn't comfortable listening to the phrases like shedding blood, sacrificing an animal, or sprinkling blood on the altar. It reminded me of sin from horror movies.
4: Yeah, I was the same way. Most satanic movies are full of bloodshedding scenes. However, bloodshedding is also essential when sacrificing an offering to God. Without knowing the meaning of sacrificial blood, I was scared of both scenarios. But once I learned the true meaning of shedding blood, I realized that it was Satan's scheme to intimidate me. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 17. Can you read verse 11?
3: For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life.
4: God says life is in the blood. By sprinkling of the blood, there is sprinkling of life. So what happens to sin?
3: It is redeemed.
4: That is correct. The sin is redeemed. The condition returns back to where there was no sin. That is why God told the Israelites not to consume blood when eating meat. If we continue to read from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, we can understand how God values blood, and especially in verse 14, it is written, For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. According to God's law, You are to pay with your own blood for shedding the blood of others. Please read from Genesis chapter 9 verses 4 through 6.
3: But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And... From each man, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sh- shed the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of a God has God made man. Since blood has a life in it, he instructs to not eat blood. He also says, A man has to shed his own blood if he shed another man's blood. This applies to animal as well.
4: That's right. If an animal attacks a human, that animal will be punished. This is how blood represents life. The blood of men, who are created after the image of God, is very valuable and important. For this reason, Satan abuses the shedding of blood. Satan dishonors blood in which God's image is portrayed. Therefore, he dishonors God.
3: So that's what it means. Shedding precious human blood in vain goes against God since he told us not to do so.
4: Yes, we have to value this blood. Let's go back. Redeem is to go back to its original state. That is why God slaughtered an animal shed its blood and made clothes out of its skin however there is a problem
3: what kind of a problem
4: the animal blood is not enough to atone for human sin
3: is it because the value of an animal versus a human is a different
4: animals were created by god but man was created in the image of god therefore animal blood cannot completely cover human sin It is at a negative because the positive was not enough to even it out. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13.
3: The blood of a goat and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean.
4: As we read in this verse, the blood of an animal sprinkled on an unclean individual makes his outward body become clean, but it does not rid him of his inward sin. Can you read the next chapter? Chapter 10, verse
3: 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is written that it is impossible for animal blood to take away sins. It is just a temporary covering.
4: Let's alternate reading Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 15.
3: When Christ came as a high priest of the good things, they are already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation.
4: He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption.
3: The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean.
4: How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God?
3: For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant.
4: This passage sums up what we talked about in today's study.
3: In verse 15, they used ransom.
4: Yes, ransom and redemption have the same meaning.
3: So, as we shared today, in order to bring us back to the original state of a being without sin, we have to fill up with a positive, which is to recover from the negative condition due to the sin. That which is the wage of sin, must be done. Death is the shedding of a blood, which accomplishes life.
4: That's correct.
3: That is why God shed the blood of an animal and made cloth out of its skin to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. But because animal blood is impossible to atone for humans who are made in image of a God, one man who has no sin had to shed his blood. And this was only possible through Jesus who came in flesh, who lived without sin and died without sin.
4: This one man shed his blood to atone for the sin that was committed at the very first covenant. Today we learned what redemption and ransom are and the answer to the question, why we need to shed blood. It is because there is life in the blood, and the blood and life are one
3: remember that shedding blood in horn movie sin or in heresy religion is done to resist against god's command and their purpose of a shedding blood is clearly different from god's purpose
4: yes it is definitely different please remember this next time we will study about how jesus changed what was negative Which was the result of sin into a positive, and what Jesus did on earth. I pray all of us will live this week remembering the Lord who gave us eternal life through His blood.
3: May we have our sin covered by His righteousness. I'll see you next week.
4: Thank you for listening.
0: World search for and seek out fortune tellers because they are curious about what will happen in their future. This is because they are uncertain about their future. They're worried, and that is why they're searching for answers. Christians have a definite future. What is our definite future? Isn't it to live eternally with our mighty God who created us all? Because of this definite future, we no longer have to be curious or search for our future elsewhere. We don't have to be worried or uncertain about our future. When we understand the grace that God has given us through salvation, we no longer have to worry. So, what do we do when we are worried and become curious about our future? That's right. We must turn to the words in the Bible. I'm sure there are some of you thinking, I don't know the Bible well enough. It's too hard. I don't understand the Bible. You don't have to worry about that at all. All the scriptures in the Bible are inspired by God. That means that God inspired people to write the words in the Bible so that we would understand and know Him better. He loves us so much, even to death. He loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us. If we desire to become closer to Him, would He make it hard for us to understand? Would He hide things from us? Of course not. God wants all of us to desire Him and to want to learn about Him. And He makes all this possible through the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-14. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. What do all of you think? The Bible tells us clearly, right? We do not have the spirit of the world, but we do have the spirit of God inside of us. And it helps us to know the grace of God and the things He gave us. It helps us to understand. I hope that we all take the time to rely on the Holy Spirit inside of us and read the Bible to understand the will of God for us. God will joyously reveal Himself to you. Believe the words in the Bible and begin reading the Bible today. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless.
5: His His blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse.